Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Two Norris podcast. I am your host, James Leonard, joined by my good friend, Timmy Lang. Hi, everyone. Rowan is on the deck. Say hi, Rowan. Hi, Rowan. It is our first podcast after the Opera House. Yeah. How are you feeling, Timmy? I feel good. Great night, wasn't it? I feel good. It was a fantastic night. It, the crowd were amazing, everybody, you know, and they, they gave us such a warm welcoming. And even at the end, the, the, the standing ovation we got... It, I, I feel double like standing we were, ovation we got. I felt like we really got accepted by the people of Cork yeah. for what we were doing and and they laughed and they laughed at all my one liners yeah. to me so I felt okay to them <laughs> we had great fun yeah. it, so it, it was a fantastic yeah. night it was absolutely fantastic I really enjoyed it and I I, and I wish one. I wish I could go up in the next stage the mm. way I finished the last stage with the confidence you will you will you know <laughs> so yeah. Well, listen, that's only the start. It's only the start. We'll be the first podcast to do. Confidence, you know. The first podcast. We'll be the first podcast to do Grow Up How. Yeah. Oh, write that down. And thanks to Rowan and the Dex for his support today. We'll have Elton John on stage as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be too big for him. Look, (laughs) we digress. But thanks to everybody for support so far. And we hopefully bring this podcast to a town near you. Without further ado, our. Latest guest, today's guest is Hazel Larkin from County Kildare. You are a mother. I am. An author, an academic, uh, spiritual, you're spiritual, you practice Hinduism. Yeah. There's so many layers to you that we'll get into. But before we get into the nitty gritty of it, for the people that do not know you, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Well, as you've said, I'm from Kildare. Um, in a place that we lovingly refer to as Hellbridge, um, <laughs> properly called Selbridge, and yeah. it's you know lovely history to it and all the rest of it. But my history with Selbridge isn't very isn't very lovely. As I said, it's where I grew up. I was one of six. I was the the third of six. I have four brothers and a sister, um, and I was abused by most of them. Um, and you know, and and by my parents as well. That that's the that was the culture of the the Both family that parents. I grew up in. Both parents. Yeah, my my father sexually abused me from. I don't actually know from when, to be honest, because it's my first memories of being sexually abused, and I was three years and one month old, and I remember him taking me. It was the day he got his first delivery from Premier Dairies. He was a milkman. Mm. He just bought around. And it must have been a Sunday because everybody else was at mass and I wasn't at mass. I was at home with daddy. And as soon as the lorry left that had delivered the milk, he had me in his arms and he 
closed the front door after waving the lorry driver off and he turned and he took me up the stairs and I remember thinking oh I know what's coming next but that is my first actual visual memory of being abused he took me upstairs and abused me um so that is my first memory and it's obviously that was a, a quite a he, he did something different as in the abuse was worse that day obviously because he was feeling like the big man mm. so it was it was a power thing for him um because that particular memory of abuse has stayed with me forever and even as a young child I, I, I thought it was great that I was so young I could always remember the first time Tommy delivered the milk but the rest of the memory never revealed itself to me until I was older and was able to cope mm. with with the memory but what's funny is that I know you had Bessel van der Koch on a, uh, a few yeah. months ago, it is now, and he talks about the body keeping the score in his book. is fantastic. I mean, I recommend it to everybody. I know essential you do too. It, it's essential yeah. reading, exactly. Um, but ever since that day, I was never able to drink milk. I was just like, oh, you're so fussy, you won't drink milk. It was my, my physical reaction to it because mm-hmm. I associated the, uh, the, the worst abuse, as, as it were, with, um, with the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was... That was that. Um, my mother's a narcissist. Can you define narcissism for us? Yeah. Um, it, it is, there, there are a few different types of narcissists. Um, but basically it is an unwillingness to, to love a child or some of your children. It is a, and I, and I say unwillingness very deliberately because it's not an inability. Mm. Um, it is, it is a choice. Um, and I suppose it's difficult to accept that you were the one who wasn't loved. Um, but there's also, sorry. No, I just, I wanted to ask you a question there. Like, isn't that the most natural thing in the world for a mother? That's what I thought. To love a child. Yeah. And I often, I often thought like if, because I know certain situations or certain contexts where that, that band isn't there, but maybe Mm. that band isn't there for a reason. Mm. I didn't know that it was actually a choice of the mother. Yeah, that there is. um, And because that is the dominant narrative that all mothers love and all mothers love their children and they don't have favourites. As a child, when you hear that, you think that there's something wrong with you because Mm. Jesus, if my own mother can't love me, Mm. then whoever will. What age were you when you you started to realise that your mother felt that way about you? I was four. I was on a beach in Wexford. Was it because of something that she'd done to you? It was very interesting. Um, I We were on the beach. It was, you know, the holiday. You go down to Wexford for your week or your fortnight. And I'd gone into the sea and I came back out. And I, obviously I'd gone further along than, than where we were, where the picnic blanket was, where we yeah. were parked, essentially. And I walked on too far and I'd come to near the end of the beach and I thought, oh, I've missed them. They've gone. And I suddenly got a bit upset. I kind of thought, I've, I've lost the family. I've... Probably would have been better off in the long run, but anyway, mm. um, I, I and I I turned around and I was I, I couldn't see anybody I recognised. I didn't see anything I recognised. It was that feeling of anxiety, that child, a lost child. You know, we all know how mm. that feels. And I remember she was coming down the beach and she spotted me because clearly she'd either seen me come out and go too far, or she was thinking, "Where is that child?" Whatever. Um, and our eyes, you know, I, she saw me, I saw her and she came down to me and she and there was a, a father and I can still see his face with his own kids. And he was really kind. You know, there was a kindness just rolling off him. And he goes, oh, he said, is she all right? And and she put her arm around me and she went, ah, yes, she's fine. She just got a bit upset. And I, I remember thinking in my head, 
she's only nice to me when other people are watching. Mm. Um, which was which was true, which was my truth, mm. is my truth. Um, and but it was all but but that's a trait of it as well, that it's what other people perceive and how they are perceived by other people is all important. Mm. It's like the family never had any difficulty accepting the abuse that had happened. My, you know, my elder brother sexually abused me as well for years. And there was never an issue with that in terms of they never went for counselling. There was never an, oh, my God, I'm sorry that happened to you. It was shut up and stop telling people. And the more public I have got, and particularly, you know, when I when I when I started legal proceedings against them, the more the family just turned against me. And it was like, going, no, 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 you need to keep your mouth shut. It's like whatever you say, say nothing when you talk about you know what. And as I have grown, we were talking about growth earlier mm. and, and, you know, recognising it in yourself, I've realised that <sighs> that there is, that I'm a cycle breaker mm. and I do not want to pass this on to my children because they mean more to me than anything. Mm. You know, they really do. And I thought there's got to be a way to parent that doesn't damage them. But doing exactly what you, the opposite of what your own parents did is as bad because that's a, that's yeah. the other end of the spectrum. You yeah. need to find a middle ground, but it's really hard to learn to mother. The middle ground is, is um, for me, and I can completely relate to a lot of your story, trust me. Um, the middle ground for me is you going with your, your, your gut and your love and, and whatever in the world is telling you, do you know what? This is right. Yeah. Love them, yes. cuddle them, tell yes. them they're loved. Yes. Yes. Know? And it doesn't matter how yes. many times. Yeah. And sometimes as they get older, the kids, especially teenagers, I have one at the moment there and <laughs> it's just, we won't go there. It's interesting. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's, it's, you still tell them that they love them at the yes. right age. And, yes. And it, it was like, I, I remember growing up and, and saying, how, how, how am I going to be a father to my own kids? I never had a father either growing mm. up. And my mother was very, very unstable and there wasn't much teething. But I'm I'm very fortunate that Nicole is a mother, you know, and uh, my understanding of being a father is just going with the love that's inside of me, mm. what I think is the right thing to do. And I can't wait to show them how to shave. I remember being... Late shaver, I think I was 17, 18, whatever, I was in France and I said, I was like, how the fuck am I going to shave? How do you shave? And I was inside in the other dressing room with the lads, oh. uh, the other lads that were in the treatment centre and I was looking at the, the older men and I was watching them shaving and it, and, and, and it, kind of, I, it was it's sad because I, 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 I remember not, like you, a father was supposed to be somebody that teaches a, a, their son to shave. And I said, you know what? When my son is that age, I'm going to teach him how to shave. Yeah, and you will too. Oh, Do you know? And yeah. and and that's that's being a father. Yes, and it's is. teaching him. It's it's the love, isn't it? And, and I, yeah. I remember, my eldest will be twenty in a couple of weeks, and my baby will be eighteen. Um, and I remember when Ishtar was born. She's my eldest. That was the first time that I realised it could kill someone. Mm because she was born in India and it was a simple thing. We were out, she was very early born. She was a 28 weeker and we'd come out of the hospital because she was always in and out to be checked up on. And a, um, a, a rickshaw wallet, so one of the, the rickshaw drivers, just the, 
tip of his canopy. She was asleep in my arms under my dupata, under my veil thing. Um, and he just kind of tipped off her head and, and startled her. He didn't even wake her up. And oh my God, I felt this rage, energy going up the back of my spine. And I thought, if I had a hand free, you'd be dead. Mother's instinct. It was just like, I will kill you. you you've, you've upset my child. And she, she didn't even wake up. Yeah. I was like, yeah. oh no, you don't go there. But it's interesting because I've always told my children that I love them. And I've always told them that I have their backs. And they got that message. And I only realized a couple of years ago that how much they got that message. Because um, when Ishtara was five, so Kashmir would have been three. And there was an accident and Ishtara ended up with very nearly losing her eye, but not quite. Um, there was another child involved and it was an accident. That's what I was led to believe. That's what both the girls told me. And it was only about three or four years ago they said, yeah, actually, no, that child actually pushed Ishtara into the radiator and that's what happened. And I said, and you never told me. And straight faced, they said, no, we decided we wouldn't tell you because we knew you'd kill her and then you'd have to go to jail and then we'd have no one to mind us. Mm, very <laughs> rational kids, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know I would kill for you. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and the other thing that that just made me realize that that I haven't completely fucked up is that again about four or five years ago um they were on the phone I said to one would you ring your sister and tell her that you know we're going to ask her what she wants for dinner or whatever it was and at the end of the conversation the one says one says to the other very naturally yeah okay see you then bye I love you and they do that they've always done that when they're on the phone the last thing they say to each other before they hang up is I love you and I think oh my god that's great. Like they're they're be- they're each other's best friends. Yeah, well, even yeah. in my own in my own uh, in my own childhood, like mm-hmm. um, I always I always felt loved by my mother and father. I always did. I always felt like that they wanted me around them. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they would compete for us if they were in separate homes and stuff like that. But there was never a feeling of abandonment or uh, rejection or anything like that. I think that helps. That helped me later in life as sure. well. You know. That I always felt like that my parents had my back, mm. even if you know they weren't in good taste themselves. They were always you know wanted my best interests, even you yes. Know? So like um, that really kind of helps you more than you probably understand as a child, because mm-hmm. when I when I develop by you know secure attachment with parents yes. and all these things, they help you with your relationships with other people later in life. A hundred percent. Do you know your relationship with your own family? Did that have any impact on your own ability to form and keep relationships later in life? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um. I, you know, three ex-husbands later. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> we don't have to go into all the details of the no. three boys, but it's in the book. Um. But uh, um. <laughs> they. Um. Yes, I would have never known what love was, so never known what to expect. So the bar wasn't even very low. The The bar was underground. It was like like an electricity ca- cable, like totally hidden under there just in case somebody might find it. Yeah. You know, there was, mm-hmm. it was just, I took anything that came along mm-hmm. kind of thinking, okay. And if it was dressed up, if somebody said, you know, I love you, mm-hmm. I think, all right, okay, that's great. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. You know, like my first husband asked me to marry him after five days and that should have sent alarm bells ringing, even though I was only 19. It should have been, that's mental. <laughs> Goodbye now. Yeah. Other, but I didn't oh God, that's so romantic. He must read. I must be fabulous. He must think I'm fabulous. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's Whole man. world of pain that was. But anyway. Yeah. Can I ask you know. about your relationship with sex? Like, do you know, if, if you've been, if you've lost your innocence at a very young age. Yeah. 
How does that inform how you perceive sexual relations and intimacy later on? That's a brilliant question. And I'm really glad you asked us because so many people are afraid to talk about sex. You know, they'll talk about abuse, but not even look at how that will affect your sex life. And of course, because I've done my PhD research is with women who were abused as well. Yeah. It's not just my own my own information that that um, that informs what I'm going to say, but it's we have difficulties with our bodies. The amount of women I, I know who will say won't even look in the mirror, don't even want to see themselves. It's like, talk to me, engage with me from the neck up. Yeah. But don't, I mean, I, I, I had lunch with a, with, a, with a woman a few months ago who has a history of abuse and she's a gorgeous looking woman in her mid fifties. And, and it was just, she, what she was wearing, I said, geez, you fine pins. I said, you're fabulous legs. And she goes, don't even look at them. I said, what? She goes, well, because at the top of them is my shame box. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't even want to think about my legs because at the top of them is the, all the bits that, that was where the abuse happened and I don't even want to think about it. Mm. I interviewed another woman who is in her mid-40s and has never had an orgasm. She's with the same man since she was 17. They have three kids to get all the rest. But she said, I, I just can't go there. I just cannot physically get there. And I know what that's like. I've, I, I, not so much now because I have um, loads of time on my hands. So, um, yeah, yeah, you know, great. we've had, well, you know, um, so, but years ago, yes. And, and, and until quite recently, when I say years, I don't mean 10 years, unfortunately. I mean, maybe even five or six years ago, orgasm was, was great. I, here's the broad, pardon the pun. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm highly orgasmic. Like I can, I was going to say I can sit here and think about it, not right now, but do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. and I'm not the only one. A lot of women will find that they can just, Think about sex and have an orgasm. It takes a little while longer than you know if you had company, but you know, yeah. as I as I call it, wanking for lazy people. <laughs> you know, um, and and you know you find out that all so all various parts of your body are really uh, orgasmic if somebody would just give them the time and nobody else will. So you do it yourself and you kind of go, that was quite nice actually. Yeah. Um, but I would find that immediately after an orgasm, I'd be absolutely consumed by. Disgust, self-disgust, shame, guilt, embarrassment. I'd feel dreadful, you know, and it was like a nanosecond. And it was almost like the veil between the adult me being with somebody that I wanted to be with, even if that somebody was myself, um, and the adult going, this is great, oh, this is fabulous, this is really good. Uh, yeah, we need this right now, actually, we need a bit of release, you know, whatever. Um and the orgasm happening and the orgasm would happen and immediately be like the veil was pulled up and you have the four-year-old child in the bed being abused. And it was that mm. um, emotional, but also physical experience would happen again. And you're kind of shaking and crying in the bed. And, and, and it would mean that if I was to hook up with somebody and you're going to go, you know, you're going to have, um, whether it's a one night stand or whether it's in a relationship or you've been in a relationship and finally you're getting into the, getting to the good bits. Um, you kind of go, well, how do I warn this poor chap? Like, how do I say, well, I'm probably going to, you know, get really upset when I orgasm, but don't worry about it. And it's something to do with you. And, you know, and does, sometimes. Does that still happen? Or have you got over that for uh, the, for, the, for the most part? Yes, absolutely. It's it's all good. Yeah, it's good now. It is good now. But what did most that take for that to happen? It took a lot. Um, it took me undoing some some of the thought process because it's all it's all. How in the did head, you do that? Um, it, there was there was a lot of work involved. There was a lot of work in actually accepting 
how I look, how my body is, what and that and, and telling myself this is what it's supposed to do. And also trying to teach my children that because children are their great are, are great teachers, as we were just saying, you know, thinking I want my daughters to have healthy sex lives. Mm. I want my daughters to understand that sex is for fun um, and that, you know, sex needs to be. Well, what I have taught them um, is that that and their boyfriends, I sat the pair, you know, my eldest daughter and, and her fellow and they were together about about a year. I sat them down and I said, right, we're going to have the talk. And they were like, oh, Jesus. So I was a good cop and bad cop, but I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> but it's like before, but I did, I said to them, I, I said straight out, I looked him in the eye and he's about, you know, she's five foot nothing. He's about six foot two. They're very sweet together. Um, but I looked him in the eye and I said to him, you're only here because I like you. And he went, I said, yeah, I said, and you need to understand. I said, nobody will ever love her more than I do. And he went, I said, that's just an empirical fact. There's no discussion. You mm. might eventually learn to love her as much, but you will never love her more. Mm. And he goes, okay. And I said, and I'm not going to tell you not to have sex because you're teenagers and, you know, mm. but it needs to be in a context. I said, and the other thing you need to realize is that her pleasure comes first. And he went, okay. And she's dying. And I'm kind of going, I don't care how many times you die. You're going to have that, this conversation. That was definitely the first time ever that was said to Annabella <laughs> during that talk. Uh, Make sure she gets it first before yeah. you. <laughs> I, no, absolutely. I, there should be more conversations like that. Well, I'm oh, she, that's brilliant. You know, I love it. Jesus. My, and, I, and I gave some homework because I, I had printed off like worksheet and I said, look, you know, what's a, what's a friendship? What's a romantic relationship? What qualities are you looking for in each person? What are the ground rules for your relationship? I said, I don't want these back, but I want you to have these, this conversation. So that was on the Saturday evening. Um, I had threatened to get a banana and show them how to use condoms, but I I, I skipped that. Probably not needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but she'd eaten all the feckin' bananas because she was afraid. <laughs> yeah. anyway, um, no, <laughs> she was worried I'd make good of my promise. But I said to her, in the, I said, did you even look at those pages? She said, yes. She said, we sat down and we filled them in together. She said they were really useful. And I thought, okay, result. So then my second daughter and her, her fellow are getting the same thing now because yeah. they've been together one. I thought, I'm mm. going to have that conversation with yourself and himself. And I said, and you'll, I said, I know you'll die of embarrassment. She goes, no, it'll only be embarrassing if we make it embarrassing. And I said, well, that's my job. I'm your mother. Mm. <laughs> I think that's great. Mature. I tell you, we've got very mature kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that's, that's great. How did you? But, but sorry, that's this... a very long winded way of saying when, when yeah. I realized that I had girls who were going to be having sex and I wanted them to be having good sex, yeah. I needed to know what that was for myself. And, so and, it meant... and, and this whole process, mm. was this something that you developed yourself or, yes. or, or is it something that yeah. gives a bit of a formula to our, our yeah. Yeah. how no, do you, how you go from having that I, I'm just thinking oh, from the perspective of people that are listening right yeah. and there's going to be people listening that are girls women yeah. that have a block there oh, for yes. having an orgasm and yes. they won't let themselves go there yeah. for whatever reason yeah. how did you go from that for years to having a freely sexual experiences and that, that, that other people could kind of follow or maybe a, a, a lot of things funny things like um, okay so the the books will tell you, you know, look at your little finger and, and tell it that you love it. And you kind of go, oh, Jesus, really? Um, so there was, a, there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of kind of going, I'm, I'm not just the brain and the vagina. There's all of me. So I want to figure out how all of me feels when all of me is, is, is in a sexual situation. So there was there was looking at that there was thinking yes okay my biggest sexual organ is between my ears so i need to be in the mood and i need to learn how to communicate that to somebody and learning to say no oh my god the amount of men who think that it's okay to say 
ah, you don't really mean it. Or I'll turn, or, or they think that your no is a challenge and that they need to turn that into a yes, rather than fellows who kind of go, all right, so good night, see you in the morning. You know, so uh, just, this yeah. is definitely for the fellows out there now. Okay. So uh, when a woman really wants to have sex. She'll okay, be all over you. You won't have yes, to ask. And that's probably, that's, that's. Probably it's like the best time for her to have sex then. Oh God, absolutely. It's like, yeah. do me now or, or I'll feck you out the window. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She will never get a no, by the way. Whereas, you know, if that was the other way around, the woman holds, <laughs> all, the, it, the woman unless, holds all the power here. Like. Yeah. <laughs> unless they were after been working for about 14 hours in the day. Like. And even then. You still like, find room, Tim. Like, <laughs> <laughs> One minute, there. Yeah. I know, yeah. We're on dead store. Hold on a second, I've a bit small bit of energy. No, it's all more. right. I have a lollipop stick. I'll tie it on. To- oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, um, oh, this is a very interesting we conversation. We were short there and on for a while, weren't we? Uh, we were, yes, yeah. But, but it is, but I suppose the point is that you can come from, oh, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. from, from that level of abuse to kind of going, no, I'm reclaiming my body. I want this. I want this for me. But yeah. it was never mine. And now I want it to be mine. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I've put on a lot of weight recently. I was unwell and then there was COVID and then there was me just stuffing my face for emotional eating and kind of going, I know I'm doing this, but I'm still doing it. Hmm, that's interesting. Mm. Um, I don't put it at myself. Sure I look. Um, and thinking, I actually love this body more now than I did when it was anorexic or when I was the, the quote unquote, you know, physical, you know, the most acceptable body shape mm, according yeah, to magazines yeah. or whatever. This is way more fun. Mm. You know, because you love yourself. Because I, I I love this one now. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. great, and I know I know I I know how to make it tick, which is yeah, nice, yeah. and I don't feel any shame around it, and I'm not <clears> afraid to. I suppose part of it might come with age as well. You know, I'm an old one, um, that I'm I'm not afraid to say. Actually, no, you need to hold on a second, and I think that's where the pornification of sex has done this generation no favors whatsoever, mm. because. You know, there was a lot to be said for not before marriage. So we have to do everything else first and I'll find out how to stroke you and what feels nice and, you know, foreplay. And that's the thing. We don't understand how fabulous it is to be just really turned on and to just really enjoy just being turned on mm-hmm. where it's an end in itself, not a means to an end. I mean, kissing. Oh, my God. Yeah. If somebody can kiss really well, I can sit there and do that for hours. Mm-hmm. And you know, this, um, the, porn, the pornography at the moment is mad because when you think about it, like, and I know, I know somebody works as a nurse and she was telling me that, um, no, we did a training actually with work a couple of years ago mm. and it was a nurse came in and gave us kind of an, a, a, a class on girls presenting to a with problems because of anal sex with no lubrication because the boys are looking at this on the phones and they think that you just go straight in, do you know what I mean? They don't, mm-hmm. they don't have the awareness mm-hmm. or the understanding and it's probably not... If you don't have like a sexual, if you don't have an um, an adult in your life or a mother like your like yourself that can sit, sit you don't have a conversation to give you a bit of an education, mm. and you don't get it in school, your education comes from the phone. Yeah, and that's a dangerous place to be. Oh yes, because that's not real, and and that's an argument that I've heard as well. People go, oh, but everybody knows that porn isn't real. Yeah, well, you know, everybody knows that the. Real Hollywood housewives of wherever isn't real as well, but it doesn't stop them or the Kardashians lifestyle isn't necessarily real, but it doesn't stop them um, uh, wanting that. It doesn't stop them kind of going, oh, that'd be great. I'd really like that. It's the same with porn. You Mm -hmm. know, there isn't an understanding that that's just all a load of fiction. 
Especially if you're young, you of don't course, have, you don't yeah. have the wisdom to understand the difference between like, is this real or is this not real? Yeah, do you know? Or it's kind of like that's where you get your tips from. So this is what it should be. This is what the ultimate sexual experience is like. Mm. And you think actually no, it's and not. The woman it's... always has to be submissive and, yeah. and all these things. It's all from the male gaze. I, I mean, I I don't watch pornography. Um, because I really just think it's filmed abuse. Yeah. End of. Um, but I have heard from from people who studied it that even lesbian porn is is filmed from the male point of view. You know, with the idea of satisfying men rather than what actual lesbians might like mm. to watch or yeah, look at. You know, yeah, that makes that's sense. very interesting. Yeah, isn't that it? makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, because like <clears throat> porn is probably one of the biggest addictions that you have out there at the moment. Yes, yeah. particularly for young men. And teenagers, yeah. you know, and it has, it's years since I watched porn. You know, it was one of the things that I had to be, the things that I had to leave behind with drugs and sure. alcohol and all these other things because I started to understand that it, it wasn't good for me. Like drugs wasn't good for mm. me. And it was, it was <clears throat> something that I didn't want in my life. And it was a really difficult thing for me to stop at the beginning, you know, because I really had to test my willpower to every, every limit, you know. And I know a lot of men, you know, and I've had this conversation with them as well about porn. But porn is completely the opposite of what a loving sexual relationship should be between yeah. a man a man and a woman, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Like... Some men are actually basically catching women by the throat these days because of yeah because of what they're seeing on porn and and all this mad shit and uh, <clears throat> it's, it's it is most definitely the wrong wrong way and the the, the the among the younger kids that are watching us like you know the I know back in our day before social media and smartphones like if somebody had a blue movie it did the rounds on the video. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And like that was about it. Or if somebody had a magazine, they might get passed around. But the access to pornography at the moment is unbelievable mm. for like mm. children as well, mm. you know? And a lot, yeah. and and what some people might know as well, I read an article recently around Pornhub, which is the biggest free pornography oh, yeah. site. A lot of the women on that are actually underage as well. Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, will we go back to your story? We can if you like. Yeah, so half an hour ago, I'd say. <laughs> go back half an hour. But like, people are people are probably thinking like, how did you go from that context as a, as a three and four year old with the dynamic with your father, the abuse with your father, you had a, you didn't have a good relationship with your mother. She mm. was emotionally available for you for mm. her choice, or and your brother is also abusing you. Mm. What was childhood like? Did that continue until you were like an adult? Or? Yes. Yeah. So my childhood. How you feel? Do you f- you feel okay talking about? Oh this God, stuff? absolutely. Yes, yes. Thank okay. you for asking, though. But yeah, absolutely. It wasn't happy, and I remember I used to cry myself to sleep every night. But I kind of thought that was normal, and I remember once I was about ten or eleven, might even have been twelve. I remember thinking. I've never had a single day where I've been happy, like all day, like a whole day of happiness. What's that like? And then I used to mentally beat myself up and go, that's stupid. Nobody has a full day of happiness. But mm. I wish I'd been able to go back and tell my little self, actually, mm. you can have days of happiness. You will have days of happiness. Hang in there. It's going to be bloody tough, mm. but it'll be worth it in the end. You know, because I, 
I do have days of happiness. I, you know, and, and now it's like somebody asked me the other day, I hadn't spoken to him for a while. He goes, sends a text, said, how's it going? I said, I'm living my best life. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, and it's not just, it wasn't just flippant. It was, and what was I doing? I was moving my books into my new office, Donat. But that was, for mm-hmm. me, that was my best life. It you was look like, very happy. I am very happy. Yeah. And it's a great place to be. And you know what? I want it for everyone. Mm. I want everyone to be happy. It doesn't, because, I don't know, I think we judge and it's an it's an old cliche really that we judge other people our insides on other people's outsides it's like oh yeah you, you look like you have it all together and there must be something wrong with me that I'm not as together as that and and our idea of what success is but you know happiness is the full moon that we had a couple of nights ago when you just stop and you look at it and you kind of go god that's incredible yeah it's going home it's having a home to go to yeah. I'm walking in the door and kind of going I'm so grateful I've just walked into a warm house and I've provided this for myself and my family it's like happiness you know it's but it's take it, it does it, it takes a while to get there because first of all you have to believe that you deserve it mm-hmm. and I think that was probably the biggest stumbling block or the biggest obstacle to my happiness was my belief that I didn't deserve it was there ever any social services involved don't truly I was a Teachers. Yeah. Um, How old are you? Yes. 48. 48. And a half, nearly. So we're yeah. talking about maybe the late 70s, Very long 80s. time ago. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, the late 80s, yeah. 88, 89. Yeah. I, I disclosed because I finally realized that what was happening at home wasn't normal. That having your brothers climb into your bed at night wasn't normal, um, wasn't acceptable, and you didn't have to put up with it. But it was weird because... It it was a secret and I knew it had to be kept secret, but they told me that it had to be kept secret because if I didn't keep the secret, I would be blamed because it was my fault, because of course it was. And I had no sense that they were wrong because I had no, I had no point to refer back to of, oh, before this happened, because mm. there was a never a before this happened. Because I had no memory of what I was like before know. I was abused. So I had nothing to refer back to. Yeah. So I did believe that I was bad and that I was disgusting and that I was a shameful thing and that I deserved what happened to me. That if I didn't like it, well, it was too bad because it was something they liked very clearly. Mm. So it just had to be put up with. But that if I told mum and dad, uh, that that they just say well of course but it was my fault and I thought yeah it must be because because dad did that too and he used to bring me to other people's houses and they do it to me too so it must be okay or it must be normal or but it's that kind of trauma bonding you know what they call Stockholm syndrome yeah um, did your dad actually know did you, did you bring it back he yeah. he brings to other people's houses and yes. did he know what they were doing then as well that was the point of bringing me there yeah. And I had that confirmed by somebody about a year ago um, who knew one of the other abusers. And I said, you know, I have a memory of being brought to this place. And he goes, yeah, that'd be right. He was known for that. And I went, okay, you've just confirmed what I knew, but it's nice to have other confirmation. But yeah, so I I did. I I told a friend at school um, and I picked her because she was very sensible and very mature. And she had a load of older sisters and they were nurses in London, which was like, how exotic. <laughs> so I thought, well, she'll, she, she won't be too shocked by this, what I have to say. 
because I'd only discovered the word or learned the word incest. Yeah. And I kind of thought, oh, that's what the, oh, this, this is wrong. Oh, and I should. And of course, then I thought I should have stopped them. How? But anyway, so she insisted that we tell a nun because it was a convent. Yeah. And we chose a particular nun because we thought that she would be, she seemed worldly, but she was older and kind as well. Um, and my friend said to her, she goes, um, Sister Hazel's brothers are interfering with her. And the nun just knew immediately what that meant. And she goes, that can't go on. And I was in bits at this stage because I just thought everybody's going to know I'm going to be blamed. 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought this is it. They're going to, they're going to kill me now for having told. And her solution, Jesus, this will make you laugh. Her solution was to ring the priest who was the principal of the school where my brothers were and tell him what was going on. He refused to believe. He goes, they're two of my best boys. There's no way. Because he had an awful soft spot for particularly my eldest brother. Mm. Um, two brothers of you, wasn't you? Yeah, my two elder brothers. Yeah. Um, so, and that was the thing. I remember one of them would say, well, if you tell about me, I'll tell about him. So obviously it's your fault. I'm kind of going, oh my God. Anyway, so um, the priest came down and I went into, I was brought into the nun's sitting room and he interrogated me for about an hour. What did they do? When did they do it? How often did it happen? Um, did they ever, did they ever ejaculate near my body? I was kind of going, they're raping me. What do you think? You know, except mm. I didn't say that because he was a priest. Uh, you know, like so, what kind of questions did that ask? Yeah, like, it was everything. But mm. I found out later because Sister Cora, Lord rest her, she only died two years ago. She was 98. She was some woman. May she rest in peace. May she rest in peace. Um, she made a statement then because I, I took a legal case. And she remembered the day like it was yesterday. Oh, there were no flies on this woman. She was about 95 when she made her statement, 94, 95 when she made her statement. And she said she remembers the day and she remembered me. And she said the priest was late and she was annoyed with him. And she said, why are you late? What took you so long? I have this child waiting. And he said, well, he stopped off on the way to see the doctor to get advice from the GP. And the doctor said to him, find out how, how far it's gone. And make sure she doesn't get pregnant because the town couldn't cope with the scandal. Fucking hell. I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And then the priest, when he was finished his interrogation and was taking his information to go back to the school, he said to me, I'll go and I'll have a word with them and I'll see what I can do. But sure, boys will be boys. And I'd never heard that expression before. And every time since, it just makes me slightly sick every time mm. I think of it. But wow. do you know what, sorry to interrupt you there, but what's interesting is that that statement from Sister Cora, this is going to make me cry. That's okay. Oh, yeah. I'm just warning you. Um, that she, that she, um, she said that she saw great potential in me. And she saw great lightness in me, great brightness. And of all, there were over a thousand documents submitted to the court when, when, um, d- during the case. And that was the only one that made me cry. Do you know who you're crying for now? The child who was lost. Yeah, well, um, do you know why you know? Because 
I can feel it. Yeah. Because it, it happens to me whenever somebody says the same thing to me, I'm getting emotional now as well. Um, I break down like that because yeah. of the innocence. And it happened to me on the stage of the opera house when I could see the child, just, the innocent three-year-old yeah. child before things down to happen in the yeah. house. I got very, very emotional because I could see that child had his whole life ahead of him. Yeah. And it stopped. And it's, who would I have been? And that's a question I think that all, all survivors ask themselves. Yeah. Who would I have been? Who could I have been? But I, I know this. Yeah. I know this. Right. We could keep asking those questions. Who would have I been? But if your experience didn't happen, right, yeah. you may not have the awareness that you have today, oh, the love, the absolutely. connection that you have. Yeah. And the wisdom that you can pass on to other people that the same stuff has happened to. Precisely. And and that keeps me going. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, I paid a high price for it. Yeah. But... Um, it doesn't justify anything. It doesn't anything. justify it. But I think... Okay, there's my, my latest tattoo. Yeah. It's Arabic for alchemy. Because I think I'm an alchemist. Yeah. I'll, I'll change it. You give me that bag of shit, I'll, I'll spin it into gold for you. Yeah. And I think that's my superpower. Mm. Wasn't well, <laughs> it nice yeah. as well, you know, that... Um, you know, your families after, you know, letting you down. Yes. The teachers after letting you down. Yes. The priests after letting you down. But that, that nun. Oh, she was. She was your. Solid gold. Your saint. Like. Yeah, absolutely. Because to read 30 whatever years later that she saw something in me mm. that was good. Mm. And I'd never, I'd never seen that about me before. Mm. And that makes you so happy too, don't it? Oh God, yeah. yeah. I felt ten feet tall, yeah. but I also felt really tiny. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it was the hmm, just thinking about this now, it's possibly the first time that I would have felt protected. Mm. You know, that somebody wanted to mind me. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. you know you you know, um when when I got into early recovery mm. and it was really early and I'd be working with psychologists at the time and it was David Spock talk about the inner child, the child, the, the abused child, the child yeah. that suffered and whatever. And I'd go back to that child, right? And I'd try to love it and protect it and say, it's okay. And it was like the child was beating me back. Yes. Go away, stay with it, you know, go away. And kicking and pushing and running. And, and I noticed recently that that same child now can take a hug. Gosh. Doesn't beat me anymore. It can take a hug. It can stand still. It knows that it's getting loved. It's yeah. trusting. These are all, this shows me that my journey is after moving on. Yes. Because I'm gone from where I was back then yeah. to accepting a bit of love. Yeah. Trusting mm. somebody. And I trust this, that inner child trusts this person now that it's going to do. It's incredible, isn't it? Because yeah. years and years, because I would have had a lot of therapy. I mean, there's, it's it's a joke, it's black humour, but there was, um, you were talking about social services and what did anybody ever do? They had a lot of meetings and said the Gardaí should be involved and I should be removed, but that never happened. Um, and of course, I got my file from, from the hospital as well, where I was attending as an outpatient, um, which I think now is a bit bonkers that I, as the abused child, was sent for therapy, but the abusers were just let off, like... 
I don't mean let off as in let away with it, which yeah. they were, but there was no therapy for them. There was no, why are you abusing? But anyway, that's an aside. Mm. But I, I got my, my file and there was one letter that had been written by the psychiatrist and she reported meeting with my father because he was still abusing me. What was the point of being in therapy when I was still going home to be abused? It clearly wasn't going to do much good. But anyway, um, and she confronted, well, confronted him. She said to him that she knew that I was, he was still abusing me. And that rather than say, hang on a second now till I ring the guardie, she said, um, you need to understand that Hazel's very vulnerable, so you need to be more sensitive. And I remember reading that and saying, what's that code for? Rape her more gently. Like, what does yeah. that even mean? Yeah, know. You know, that it's yeah. like you're going to leave at the time I was 14. You're going to leave a 14 year old with an abuser. And they left you go back into the yeah. family environment. Yes, absolutely. I, I find it hard to understand. Like. So do I. You know, it the doesn't agency, make any sense to me, like. I mean, there were there were meetings left, right, and said, but nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine, it's not. Yeah. <coughs> Bless you, it's, it's not that long ago. Yeah. But yeah. I, but in therapy, I know that I've I've seen a lot of therapists, and they talk about the inner child, and I would immediately, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be able to hear it. I'd sit there and I'd kind of go, I don't have an inner child, I have an inner princess. I'm talking to my inner princess. Mm. You know, the facade, but only recently, and again, possibly just in the past couple of years, I've been able to say, okay. There is a child there. She's still knocking around. She's still, there is still a part of me that is that child that wasn't loved, you know. And I know that when I get anxious, because I I do have anxiety, surprise. Mm. Um, But I will kind of say to me, you know, that that feeling of utter despair and desperation and and, and, and the the, the kind of the peripheral vision going mad because you're sure that something's just about to happen you know that that lovely gift of trauma the gift that keeps on taking mm-hmm. um and and you kind of think this is a disaster i'm heading for disaster and but just being able to calm myself down and kind of go no it's okay it's okay i've got you all right you're gonna be okay it's, it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay and i can actually say that to myself now and believe myself which is yeah Wow, and usually I'm right. Usually. How, 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 did it, how did it end, Hazel? How did you get out of it? Ha, I went and married a psychopath. And moved to the other side of the world. So you were an adult by the time, or late yes. teens? Yes. I mean, my, my parents separated when I was 15 because... Did your mother know about all this? Ah, oh, yeah. Your mother knew that, yes. that this was happening? Yes. Yeah. She loved them. And the first time I went to the Garthi, I was 18. I, I thought... I, so naive. I thought you had to be 18 to go to the guards, like the, to make a statement. So when I was 18, I went to the guards and I said to them, I said to the sergeant, and I said, how late is too late to like make a report about something? And he goes, well, it depends on what it is, thinking like my bike had been stolen or something. Yeah, and I said, well, uh, um, abuse. And he went, I'll stop you right there. And in fairness to him, he took me in and he said, I'm not going to talk to you about this. He said, I'm going to get, and in those days we still called him Bangardi. Oh, I'm going yeah. to get a Bangard to talk to you. And in fairness, that was the right thing to do, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I made a statement and it was hours. And I remember her, she's a lovely woman. I remember her saying to me, you know, tell me everything. I, I, you know, I apologize in advance for questions I'm going to ask you, but don't worry, you know, nothing you say will shock me. But then some of the things I said did shock her. <laughs> she yeah. was like, oh. Was there any shame from the lad? Was there any guilt or remorse or anything? Like no. That? No. And there still isn't. Did you get a prosecution against them? Well, this is what happened when I went to the Gardaí. Um, my mother, of course, got wind of it because they wanted to talk to her. Witness, you know, whatever. 
Um, and she told me I was to go down and retract my statement or otherwise she I was I was still living in the family home and they weren't they were living um, they, they were abroad um, and she said if I didn't go home and retract if I didn't go down and retract my statement she'd make me homeless she kicked me out um, because I needed to think about the the effects on them that I was going to ruin their lives and their lives were more important and still are as far as she's concerned not as far as I'm concerned but you know so it was harsh. Mm. When I think about it now. Did you have, did you have good, good people in your lives, friends or any other family members that were supporting you or anything like this? I've always had good friends. Yeah. I've been really, really lucky that way. I have mm. always had good friends. Um, you know, when I realized that they were there, because part of the part of abuse is that you're kept away from people. So I would never have had you know, very rarely have had people in the house or certainly would have been, wouldn't have been allowed to knock around with other people. So I was quite isolated from normal people. Um, So, so making friendships was difficult. And and also even understanding what social mores were, what social norms were was difficult. Like I'd I'd go out somewhere and I'd watch what everybody else did first before I kind of join in. It was Mm. almost like I was feral. What about like uh, boy friends and stuff? Do you know when you're 15, 16, like... Were you promiscuous because you you were sexualized at a oh, young that, age? That was or? the only way to get love, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, that it was, and and also you couldn't say no to a fella because because you just couldn't. Like you were socialized that way. But absolutely, yeah. It's mm. unbelievable. Yeah. You have an unbelievable story. I'm, I swear to God, no. unbelievable strength. Unreal. Thank you. That, like yeah, I, it's, it's hard to fathom that amount of abuse and trauma in one person's yeah. life, yeah. you know. And 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 to see them prosper yeah in life and, and go beyond it and no, when you and come in when you come in there you give me a hug you a big warm nurturing hug and you're big you're very uh ra- you radiate a lot of positive love and energy and like that princess that you said you have in yeah that that stayed strong the whole time and now yeah. flourishes yeah. That's, that's unbelievable i didn't break the spirit at all like no but it came close sometimes mm. You know, there were so many times that I woke up and I thought, oh, Jesus, I've woken up. The amount of times I tried to kill myself. Like mm. I remember the first time I tried to kill myself, I was seven. Mm. Um, mm. And, I, you know, that there were, uh, and hanging on and, and thinking. If, did you pray? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I did. And that was, that was, I was very mm, close to God or because it was a religious state, we lived like religion was yes. a massive thing back yes. then. Until I was fourteen, and I remember being in 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 church and listening to what the priest was saying and thinking, "That's not that's not God. That's not. I don't mm. believe. I cannot stand here and say I believe in that." And I, I was really bereft. But I turned around and I walked out of the church at that time, uh, not in a big you know dramatic thing. I kind yeah. of. I can't sit here and listen to this because he's wrong. It was like misogyny, whatever was going on. And then I thought, I can't go back because I can't say I believe in this because I don't. Mm. And I, I felt I felt really bereft. I thought, now what do I do? Now where's my tribe? Where's my gang? How do I pray? What do I... Do you lose your faith in God? No. You never lost your faith in God? No. Sometimes we'd have, I, I'd have words. And I remember once or twice going, I'm not even... I'm talking to you. I remember being down with somebody. Did you pray to God for all the stuff that was happening to you to stop? And 
No, I used to pray to God to make me die. I was like, going, please, well, God, if you're yeah. there, let me not wake up in the morning. And then I'd yeah. wake up in the morning and be fucking furious with God. Yeah, that's, that's, you have some help. That's exactly what I would have done as a young child as well. Yeah. And because I didn't die, I lost my faith in yeah. God. It's like, what use are you to me then? And I completely shut off mm. humanity. I, yeah. I numbed out. I can understand and that. that's when I became introverted and I lived inside my head for the mm. rest of my life. Yeah. Until drugs and drink and substances came at a young age and I didn't have to think anymore because all my thinking was around alcohol, drugs, crime yeah. and everything else that was going on in my life. And that took me so far yep. until the moment that I had to stop and then I had to retract all the, go back to the beginning again and deal with all the trauma, all the stuff. I know, know, and it's never ending. And that's the thing, that it's hard work. Yeah. You know, that's what, I mean, I, I, obviously I was thinking about this on, on the drive today and I was thinking about my family, not least because somebody reached out to me over the weekend because she started a relationship with one of my brothers and then she Googled him and then she came across my website. And so she had to ring me and say, you know, I, I've just had to break it off with him because I've just realized what he's like. And I'm kind of lucky escape there. Yeah. And I'm glad because I don't want him to hurt any more women. But I'm thinking that we've all had the same opportunity for growth. We've all had the same opportunity to say, well, what do I need to change about myself in order to make me a better person or in order to live up to my potential? And I think, well, they're all stuck there. Because they haven't, well, for a start, and I'm sorry to mention the P word, but we live in a patriarchy. Um, right. And, you know, how they behave behooves them because they're, they're seen as being strong and relentless and great businessmen. And, you know, they, they have a lot of money and that's seen as success. But I'm thinking, yeah, but they've managed to do all that by hurting people. No. And that's not who I want to be. And in order for me to grow, and this is interesting that when they, when they come across me and send me nasty messages, they think it's going to hurt me as much as it would have hurt me 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But they don't realize is that I have grown. I mean, two years ago, my somebody unleashed my father on Facebook and uh, he found me because I have two pages. I have my private personal one where I put up pictures of my kids and my cats and whatever. And then there's the, the, the more public one where people can see what I'm doing in work wise and so he contacted me through there and he went, um, uh, cause I changed my last name when I was 16 because I thought I'm not going through my life with your name hanging off me for the rest of us. No, that's yeah. fine. I'll change it. So, um, anyway, so he, he, and, and at that stage he was, he was no longer in my life. So he didn't have, he didn't, he didn't know that I was changing it or whatever. Um, and so anyway, he found me and he was sending me messages and of course I wasn't responding cause I just thought. No, you don't respond. You don't mm. give them what they're looking for. So they, these messages were getting more and more abusive. And this is, suddenly it was like going, it was like mad. He was kind of going, did you give up? Did you give up the incest with your brothers? Um, you know, and it was like, ha ha, using torn, torn plastic bags for, for condoms. Ha ha. And I'm kind of going, you're so, how old is this man? I was going to say, you're in your flipping seventies and this is how you're behaving. And that's exactly what it would have been like 40 years ago, you know, and you just think. Just a cunt, didn't he? I've grown and you, ha and then he goes, and I hear that you've defamed me and I'll be unleashing. And I thought, you know, he said, I'll be suing you for defamation. And I was going, it's not defamation if it's true. It's not defamation if I've got all the receipts, like the, you know, the documents from the HSC, all the rest of it. And I also sat there and I went, 
only one of us here has a law degree and it ain't you, so off you yeah. go. Mm. <laughs> you know? well, how many I, I, But just in my head, I didn't even respond. But I, but I remember th- I, knowing that, and you know, 20 years ago, if that had happened, I would be shaking, I'd still be shaking in a ball in the room, kind of going, he's found me, yeah, he's found yeah. me, I'm next, well, you know, he's going to come and get me. And now I'm sitting there kind of going, yeah, it's a good garbage shite. Have any aunts yeah. and uncles that yeah. stood by you? No. No. Mm. Don't, don't believe you? Oh, they do believe me. But I, but it makes them uncomfortable. Because if they, if they side with me, for want of a better way of putting it, then they have to confront the dysfunction in the family because mm. it didn't start with this generation. But it's fucking stopped now. Yeah. It has stopped Break with me. the cycle, yeah, as you yeah. said. I have broken the cycle. Yeah. You know? God only knows what else is going on inside the rest of that family. Right? Oh, I have ideas. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. So <clears throat> they probably just can't face their own yeah. stuff. No, well. they don't want to. They, and, and even if they've just stood by and been complicit that you know you've got to interrogate your own behavior i mean i've i've had i i'm not perfect there are times that i've let loose at my kids and and just you know rounded on them when they haven't deserved it shouted you know when when they were little and i've said to them recently i said how much damage have i done to you and they both looked at and looked at me and went what are you talking about and i was going i wasn't I, you know, there were times when I really wasn't the mother that you deserved and you need to understand that you always deserved the best and you didn't always get it. And they were like, we don't blame you for that. And I've gone, yeah, but maybe you should. And they said, no, we get you, where you're you coming from. You can only from. blame yeah. somebody when they know better. Like, you, you, yeah. you, 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 you can't blame, like considering your circumstances back then and what you were going through mm. and the, the amount of stuff you had to deal with. Like, uh, there's no one going to, slap you on the wrist and tell you you shouldn't have showed it at the kids or you shouldn't have gave out to more of this or whatever even you know whatever you know but um, how did you manage to your daughters seem like they're great kids don't they but that's that's part of breaking the cycle I think is saying Mm. sorry because nobody ever said sorry to me I was always in the wrong whereas I will go back to my kids and I'll say and what's lovely is that they've they've started to and I noticed it just this past weekend that they mother me and they do it differently like there was um, what 2019 in October no September I went in for surgery I said I'm not superstitious and I went in and I had surgery on Friday the 13th no, now I, I still say that wasn't a bad idea because it was the 16th that I nearly died so it's a few days later um, I ended up with a massive amount of clots in both my lungs and thankfully my eldest daughter it was a Monday and she doesn't have college on a Monday and she heard me hit the front like, and she came in and she was just she was only 17 and a half um but she was total control all over it you know um ring the ambulance and it's one of those things that goes down in family lore she kind of went um i think you should because the, the woman was asking her <clears throat> pardon me question she was because the star said mom had surgery on friday and she's not she didn't come out of it as well as she thought she would and she's still bleeding a lot and it was gynae surgery and the woman goes where's she bleeding from and she said yeah it was gynae surgery yes 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 but where's she bleeding from she says, from her vagina like she went through the name it like <laughs> so, so then she you know so then she thought well i'm not dealing with the smartest tool but so oh. as i as i'm lying there kind of going she starts looking at me and taking all this in she goes okay i think you should know this my mum's turning blue and that's not her normal colour. 
<laughs> you know, but but she'll be. You're on death's door, and how's this one been sarcastic on the phone? But she's kind of going, just so you know. Um, but that that was, you know, mm. I remember getting into the finally getting. Oh God, it was funny because the the first responder arrived, then the two paramedics, and then a doctor. So I kind of knew that it was a bit serious. But I'm mm. I'm lying there thinking, I have four men in uniform in my bedroom <laughs> before eleven o'clock on a Monday, and I can't flip and move. Like, this, is not, <laughs> this is not a good look. It's not how we planned them. Not how I planned it. <laughs> but I, I know I got into the hospital, and the doctor day, and he went, "Oh my God, you're alive!" And I went, yeah, he goes, "We didn't think you would be, but you are. So that's great." Yeah. And I was like. <sighs> <laughs> I was very, very ill. I didn't even realize it until I got better and they explained to me. Anyway, but but Ishtara will, she's bossy mammy. You know, she'd be like, I say, oh God, I'm tired. Did you take your iron? Are you taking it properly? Hold out your hand and we see, are you, you're electrolyzed. Yeah. So I'm going to get you some orange juice. You know, she's big fussy mammy. And then Kashmira, who's, who'll be 18 in May, just over the, the weekend, um, she was saying, are you, you know, you're done for the night. She said, no, I'm going to, I'll do another hour or so. And she goes, I don't think that's very sensible. So I think rather than try and power through, we should just go to bed because, yeah. you know, I'm thinking I've, I've got it in both ears now, but mm. you know, they learned it from somewhere. I suppose. Yeah, they're minding that. <laughs> they're minding that. They mind, and it, but it's really funny to see that term full circle that they're yeah. kind of testing out how to be, how to be mammy. Yeah, you know, so it's lovely. It, it like is. It's lovely. Yeah. After, after all that in your childhood, mm. you went into adulthood mm. and things weren't so straightforward. Mm-mm-mm. No. You you married you married three times. Yeah. What was husband one? Well, husband number one was on the run from the police when I met him, but I didn't realize that. Okay, I did not want a bad boy. I wanted somebody because all I wanted was to get married and have babies. You know, yeah. hello, because I knew that I had so much love inside me, and it needed to go somewhere. I needed somebody to just take it from me. Um, and I and I wanted kids, and I and I had a feeling I'd be a good mommy because I put a lot of thought into it even before they were a gleam in anybody's eye. I kind of thought, how am I going to be a parent? How am I going yeah. to do this? Like everything down to bottler breast. Well, breast one out because um, I'm lazy. And, um, you know, I, by the time I was 18, I knew I was having home births. Like it was like I, the research was done. Um, all I needed was the fella. Um, so as <laughs> he arrived and asked me to marry him after five days and he was from Singapore. And he was about a dozen years older than I was. And as I said, he was on the run from the police. So that was all quite chaotic because I didn't realize that until after we were married and we were back in Singapore and he was arrested. Anyway, so um, that was a caper. What um, kind of a man was he? He was um, very abusive. Violent? Violent. Um, sexually abusive on a, you know, he would have raped me on a, on a few occasions. Um and um, a pathological liar. Absolutely. Like he lied about everything. And then he'd lie about not, you know, when you'd find him out, he'd go, okay, I'm sorry, I'll never lie again, which of course is another lie, mm. you know? And I just thought, and also he was my, he was my husband. So I thought, well, this is my marriage. So I have to keep working at it. And my, my identity was bound up so much you know, as a young woman of 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, um, of being a, a, the married woman and being correct about things. Because part of me in my head was like, I need to be a good girl. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a, a, a legacy of trauma as well. It's like, you need to be, you need to be good and you need to keep everybody around you happy because if all the people around you aren't happy, then it's not a good look. You know, things, yeah. things are going to go pear-shaped very quickly. So, um. How long did you stay married to him for? About five years. Did you have any kids off him? No. 
And at the time, that was the biggest sorrow of my life because I would have done anything I was going for um, for treatment. But because, I mean, this is how ridiculous it was. Because I was so young, they didn't investigate properly. I had a load of problems, you know, kind of obviously, yeah. um, that weren't investigated. They were just like, oh, it seems like you're ovulating. We've done your bloods. Um, just come and have lots of sex with your husband. Mm. I was like... <laughs> It's not that easy. Um, and eventually somebody went, oh, let's go and do this and that and we'll go and we'll have a look. And they discovered there were a lot of things wrong, but they were fixable. Thank goodness. Um, and then I left my husband and I was like kind of going, shit, it took me this long to get the recipe right. Now I'm missing an ingredient. This is, oh, thanks. Mm. So, Did you leave him in Singapore? No, um, we had come back to Ireland because he'd um, set a building on fire. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, he'd been on the take from his company again. Um, and to cover up what he'd done, he set the place on fire and then one of the walls fell over on his legs. And that's how, you know, because he was a sociopath, a uh, psychopath, he didn't have the same level of pain. You know, he didn't feel pain the way the rest of us would. So he was walking around on these viciously burnt legs. I mean, when I saw them, I like it was, wasn't wasn't pretty um, and even when we got to the hospital when I persuaded him to go to the hospital <clears throat> pardon me because he was worried about the police showing up of course but I didn't understand that he was he made up some other story about how he'd hurt himself and I thought we'll just go to the hospital because and, and even the, the doctor there was saying he might lose his legs just to let mm. you know um, but he didn't um, so I left him I stayed with him after that gave him one more chance shoot me now um and came back to ireland because he just thought he'd be safer here and he turned over a new leaf and he'd never lie again anyway so needless to say he didn't turn over a new leaf he didn't stop lying he didn't stop taking money he didn't stop his behavior so eventually i just thought i can't do this anymore because i'm actually i'm in danger here like he's dangerous it's time to leave and then within, and then I went back to Singapore because I quite like the East. Um, and I met my second husband who was from India and he proposed the night we met. So and we talked five, five days. Yeah, because <laughs> that was the conversation. Like I met him, it was a blind date, but he says that means it was an arranged marriage. Like, yeah, fucking um, like we, we'd a mutual friend, um, and she said, oh, look, you know, go meet him for, for, for a drink. She said, he's so not your type, but he's a bit of a laugh. You'll have fun. And I met him. I thought, oh, Jesus, Shruti, you're right. He's so not my type. Um, and he was saying, you know, that, that question that expats always ask each other, how did you get here? How long are you here? What brought you here? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, my, my husband was Singaporean. And he goes, well, he was your husband or he was Singaporean. And I said, well, actually both, because he's not my husband anymore. And he now has Irish citizenship because we were married for so long. The rules then were different. And he goes, all oh, right, okay. So you're saying, I said, yeah. He goes, well, um, he, he said, so how did you meet? And I told him that. And I said, he proposed after five days. And he goes, oh, that's my target. is." And I went, Jesus, if that's a compliment, it's very heavy handed. You don't mm. need to, I'm grand. And then after about an hour and a half, maybe a bit more, he turns around and he goes, um, well, I love you and I'm going to marry you and that's that. And I went, and I laughed because I thought, because that's a funny thing to say, right? Mm. And then you got offended. And I should have, that that should have been a red flag, but I didn't, I wasn't able to read that to know that this is, you know, get up now and move, you know, walk away. Um, And uh, he got got annoyed because I laughed because I wasn't allowed to laugh at him. Um, 
And then he, and I can't believe I fell for it, but he was kind of going, we're going to have dinner. I said, yeah, okay, we're going to have dinner. And he goes, I need to go home and change first. Why? Like we're in Singapore, we're just going to go and eat by the street. Like, yeah. Um, but of course that was a ruse to get me back to the apartment. And once we were back, he locked the doors and we were on the fourth floor and it's Singapore and there were no um, fire escapes. That's fire escape. There was no elevator either. Yeah. So I was, I was essentially his prisoner. So yeah, he... Um, it was the only time that he ever that he ever showed any um, sexual interest in me. But again, it was it was about having what he wanted, and I and I thought it was it was my it was my fault because I start, I was saying no, I was saying no, and then I just oh, stopped saying no, and I thought, well, then we can't call it rape because I stopped saying no, and now I'd like to go back and give myself a good slap. Actually, I wouldn't. I'd like to go and take myself out of that. Give situation. him a good slap. Give him a good slap. Um, Throw him off the fourth floor. Throw him off the fourth floor. What are we with him for? <laughs> um, let me see. I met him just after I turned 25 and I left him when I was 28 and a half. And did you get married under Joris? Oh, absolutely. Mm. I mean, I showed up for the wedding kind of going, it's too late to call it off now, Larkin. Mm. You know? How did you get away at him? Oh, gosh. And your kids at that stage? Ishtar was born. This is so funny. Great like, name, by the way. Ishtar. Ishtar. Ishtar, I do. It means most desired. And I thought, what else am I going to ha- call a child that it took me so long to have? Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That is I don't know, is it Indian or Irish? It is, it's actually Sanskrit. But a lot of people said, is it Indian or Irish? Because it, it has kind of sense of both of them. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for short, she's called because Indians have like their name, uh, like your your good name. That's what, what, you know, when they say, what is your good name? It means like, what is your proper name? What are you generally called? And then you'll have your home name. And her home name is Isha, Isha. which means goddess. Goddess. Oh, mm. yeah. yeah. And then, of course, her middle name is Sersha, which is Irish. Irish for freedom. So, yeah. So she's, and she's always had a mind of her own. So, I, kind of think, so I think that might not have been the best name. But mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but yeah, she was, and she was born in India and then. He went back to Singapore and I stayed on in India with the baby because she was so sick until she was about nine months old. Went back to Singapore. Um, then we came to Europe for a month to show off the baby because you kind of have to. Um, and then when we got back, I realized that this marriage was a bit dead. You know, that there was that he was squashing so much of me out of myself that he had no passion, that he, he just not a good match. Um and I told him in the February, I sat him down and I said, look, these are all the issues that I have. I said, you're violent and, and you're getting worse and that needs to stop. We need to address that. Um, and I don't like when you lie to me and I don't like when you don't come home from the pub and I don't like, you know, all these things. And I said, look, this is my list. I said, you must equally have a list. I said, because I can't be this miserable and you be deliriously happy. Yeah. I said, so go away and think about what is on your list. And come back to me and we'll work on it, you know, and we'll save this marriage. I said, otherwise I'll be gone. I'll be gone by June. So I'll give it that long. And he turned around to me and he said, if only you'd learn to cook sambar like my mother, everything would be fine. And I thought, if you were joking, we're in bigger trouble than I thought. (laughs) And if you're serious, we're in bigger trouble than I thought. Mm. So come the end of May... 
nothing had improved things had disimproved and there was one day I was saying you know I am moving out I am going I know this this will make you laugh he didn't understand because he the financial control was strong with this one like there was a lot of coercive control so he always had the apartment in his name so it was his house and he could chuck me out anytime he wanted mm. there was that thing um and he controlled the finances so he thought well she doesn't have enough money to leave me so what's she talking about yeah but what he didn't realize was that, that I was picking up extra hours or extra projects and asking to be paid in cash. And I was hiding the cash in a Tampax box in the ensuite bathroom. And it used to make me giggle because anything to do with women would be like unclean. Like he'd have no time for women at all. You know, anything <laughs> feminine, feminine, oh, God, no, you know, couldn't cope. So I thought that's the only place he won't look. Mm. He's in a Tampax So it used to make me it's giggle He'd go in and he'd have a shower And he'd be like two metres away from thousands of dollars But they were in a Tampax box So he was yeah. never going to find them mm. <laughs> don't, don't, That reminds me of There used to be an alcoholic up in Cork Prison Right And back in old Cork Prison There was no toilets in the cells So you, have to have, you used to have to piss into a pot Yeah you Not know, like a, a chamber pot It was a piss pot But this alcoholic up in the prison anyway He used to be always lying or drunk 24 hours of the day, this man is lying on his drunk. And officers raid the landings, the cells, and they would never find the alcohol. You know where he would store the alcohol? It's hiding the piss pot. Brilliant. Would they search the piss pot? No. They wouldn't know No. No. <laughs> no. That's genius. Plain yeah. sight. Yeah, hidden in plain sight, yeah. exactly. But no, there was one day then when I was saying to him, you know, and I'm moving out, and he was saying, what about baby? Because Ishtar was uh, 12, 14 months at that stage. And I said, well, you know, I, obviously I'm not going to stop you seeing her and you can see her at weekends. And he goes, no, he said, I'm going to keep her. I said, oh, I don't think you are. And he said, yeah, he said, and my mother will mind her. He, his mother didn't even raise him. Mm-hmm. So I did, I, I turned around and I said, your mother doesn't know one end of a child from the, from another. I said, she's not getting anywhere near mine. And he came over and he, I, I had the baby in my arms and he started to choke me. And I just thought, He's never done that before. This is escalation. I need to move. So I was gone the following week. So that's how I got away from him. Come back to Ireland? No, I stayed because I thought that he needed, I wasn't going to interfere with him having a relationship with his daughter because I thought that our relationship was one thing, but his relationship with the child was something else. And I wasn't going to be an obstacle to it. But he was a narcissist. What about the second baby? Well, that was very interesting um, because... A couple of days after I left my second husband, somebody I'd met through work um, wanted to meet for coffee. I was like, I don't have time. I'm unpacking. I've just left my husband. I'm on deadline. I have a script to write. Go away from me. I'm busy. Um, but anyway, he said, look, is there a coffee shop near you? And I said, Jesus, if you're that desperate for coffee, come to the house. You know, here's mm-hmm. here's where I am. So we sat down and he went, you know, I always liked you. I was kind of going. Was this guy Indian as well? Yeah. Spot a trend, you know. <laughs> um, so, he, so he goes, yeah, I went, oh, all right, you're okay. And he goes, um, but you were with somebody and I couldn't ask you to marry me. And I was kind of going, oh, get away from me. <laughs> just get away from me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm fed. Just what is it with you and, and, and foreign men and, 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 and marrying and good. Um, but then I thought, oh, hold on a minute. Just, just one second, Hazel. Just, just don't be too rash. Six foot three, really good looking. I had been in a sexist marriage. Oh, this was the thing because I wanted to have babies. My second husband, like I said, women were 
foul creatures altogether. So rather than actually have sex with me, he was sending me off to the clinic to be like impregnated. And I was kind of going, this is costing a fortune. Like, would you not just give us the ride? You know? That's ridiculous. Yeah, but anyway. So anyway. um, Probably... Probably, probably couldn't end. couldn't do it. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, um, it wasn't for the want of my time. Anyway, never mind. Mm. So I was like going, yeah, well, and it's been a while. Um, you can stay. Mm. So he kind of stayed. And then lo and behold, within a couple of weeks, I'm pregnant with Kashmira. And then he came home from work one day, um, back to the house and he picked me up because he's six foot three and I wasn't. And he goes, oh my God. He said, it's so wonderful to come home to you. He said, I love you so much. I said, that's great because I'm pregnant. And he went, oh fuck. And I thought, that's not quite the reaction I was hoping for. And he was a bit broody and he goes, are you sure? I said, no, no, it was a very faint line backtracking. You know, again, that thing of we need to keep everybody around us happy. And he went, I need to know, I'm going to go down to the chemist and get you a pregnancy test. And you're going to, and I was kind of, I'm all peed out. I'm not pissing on demand for you but anyway second one was like hadn't even put my knickers up and it was you know two pink lines it was like, there we are um and he goes well back to the room and he goes what does it say i said it was negative and he goes i don't believe you show me i said oh well, all right then it was positive i was like <laughs> and and then, then but i found out then the next day why he'd been so unhappy sitting there watching the news and I was exhausted you know the absolute bone drying uh, uh, exhaustion of early pregnancy you've seen it with your with your wives you know and you're like oh my god so he had this thing he thought it made him an intellectual to watch the 10 o'clock news sorry that was a very bitchy thing to say but there we are I just said it <laughs> sue me speak freely um and I had my head in his lap as he's watching the news because I'm exhausted and I just want to go to bed um and he said and he went casual as you like he goes yeah, I think um, I think I forgot to tell you. Actually, I'm uh, I'm actually still married. We never saw anybody so tired, move so fast, shot up off. I was like, "You're what?" He goes, "Yeah, but she's in India," and I was kind of going, "That doesn't make it better that I'm pregnant." And he's going, "Just thought you should know." I was like, "Yeah, I should have known." Like. Six months ago, or yeah. you know, not even six months ago, two months ago, and you were sitting here in my house saying that you wanted to. Be, like, what if I'd said yes? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, what if I'd said yes? I'll marry you. And he goes, two wives, a divorce. I don't know. I'm kind of going. You didn't really think that one through. No, smart artist, the brightest, did you? was he? One of the brightest. Um, <laughs> He's How long did crazy. you stay there for? Oh, he left the following day. Like he left and went to the UK. Yeah. I haven't seen him since, so that's 19 years ago. Yeah, always oh, speed up your story a bit, right? Because we're running out of time. Sorry. You have a ton of education done and continuing Jeez. to do here. I was just getting, yeah. I was really getting into that too. I know, yeah. I was like beyond Jory Spring. Oh, good. I was like, something in the audience. Come on, tell me what's next. <laughs> Sorry for you. No, no, but no. But I was no. just Look, really. But you, you tell her with a bit of humor as well. A friend of mine put it wonderfully. I remember giving out about him after she was born because, of course, there was no support, financial or otherwise. And a friend of mine said to me, Look, and she's very proper. Like, this is a, a titled English lady, five different titles, you know, one of the very, very proper and she goes look she said Arshad might have been a shit but he was a very tall and a very good looking shit and being tall and good looking is is genetic and being a shit isn't so don't worry about your child she'll be fine yeah and she was right yeah how the kids today fabulous yeah but sure I see them with my heart not with my eyes so I just go oh, they're gorgeous Ish- you know, Ishtara, and- Ishtara and Kashmira 
Hello, Ishtara and Kashmira. <laughs> Kashmira is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. She's named after a flower because when is I was it? pregnant with her, I just kept seeing this flower all over called yeah. the Kashmira. Do you speak Indian? Nah, no, I, I speak Indonesian, which is yeah, really is helpful. Um, <laughs> but uh, Tell us about your education. So you, so you I, casually I dropped your law degrees, PhDs, <laughs> writing scripts. Yeah. So I came back to Ireland then because my mother's a narcissist and she came over to Ireland. Uh, sorry. She came over to Singapore when Kashmira was three months old and I had quite a nice life. I, was, I had a nice apartment and there was a pool and there was a gym and I'd live in help. So I'd help with the children. I'd someone to cook and clean, you know, to help with all of that sort of thing. And I was doing work that I liked. I was working in television. So I was writing for stage screen publication, doing a bit of teaching. I love teaching. Mm. Um, I wasn't making a whole ton of, look, I was making enough money to pay for everything, but there wasn't an awful lot left over. Do you know, but yeah. there, I just had a baby. Can I just say? Yeah. Um, so I was getting back to work. Like I was back at work when she was three. I was in a boardroom when she was three days old, you know, so I, I'm not a slacker. Mm. Um, but she was comparing that to her and she just didn't like the fact that I had quite a nice life. She made a few comments about it a few times, like she'd pick up the baby and go, oh, she smells of expensive perfume. You wear expensive perfume. I was like, yeah, we're expensive. I like it. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't in a stage where I could see that there was anything wrong with how she was treating me. Mm. So as soon as she was there, she's like, you need to come back to Ireland to be safer, to be better. You could get a job. You could. Uh, and we'd help with the children. And, this, and I was, you know, I don't want to go back to Ireland. My life is here. Mike. So anyway. It was her mission then to make sure that I came back. So by the end of that year, I was back in Ireland. Culture shock, left, right and centre, not knowing my arse from my elbow. Mm. You know, it had cost me so much money to move over. You know, losing deposits on the house and the, uh, everything. Um, but here I was and I was back in Ireland and I was totally not what I'd been. I'd been sold a pup. You know, there, were, there was no work for a woman with two children. Did you go back to Celebridge? Yeah, I did. Because I didn't know where else to go. How big is Celebridge? Oh, about as big as two buttons. Mm. Um, there, but it's bigger now. I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 12, 14,000 people. Is it a case of everybody know your business from back in the day? <laughs> Do I look like I care who knows my business? I know. But you know, when you when, like India, Singapore, these yeah. are huge countries, yeah. densely populated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're anonymous over there for yes. the most part. I could reinvent myself. I know I could be who I was over there. Was you come back here and it's like, oh, there's your one. Yeah, that's I what question. I mean. Yeah. She was always a bit mad. Yeah. When you were away in Singapore and India, mm-hmm. it, it, there's a saying as it goes, when you're in a new environment, you you feel like you're a new person because you've no experiences within this new environment. I know what you mean, yeah. And you feel lighter there's not as much stress because you're going around nobody knows your past nobody knows your story so you left this not nice environment yep. where you had none of that old experience from what you had in ireland as a young yep. child and the experiences after so you left here and you went back there did you feel exactly as you did before you left or are we after growing a small bit while you were in singapore you know i was still in desperation mode when I was in Singapore because I was still in danger. Okay. So I was still always under threat. So I, th- I think a lot of the growth happened when I moved back because yes. like you say, I went to school. Mm. I decided that one of the things I would do is I'd get an education because I, 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 I said I failed my leaving and Kashmira pulled me up on it and she went, no, the system failed you. Mm. I went, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Because um, that was back in the day if you failed English, uh, if you failed maths, you failed everything. So there we are. Um, 
and I thought, okay, let me see if I can do this. And I enrolled to, to do a, a degree in psychology and sociology in Maynooth. And I thought they won't have me, they won't have me. And they had me. It's kind of go great. One of these days they're going to find out like that I shouldn't be here. But literally I had two babies under the age of three. One of them was still on the boob. Mm. Um, and I think that was the hardest. I think my first degree was the hardest one that I did because they were so young. Yeah. There was no help. It was... It was a whole different way. It was brilliant. I loved it. I remember going into the library and kind of going, there's so much knowledge in here. I'm surrounded by books and there's so much in here. So I did that. And then I thought, now I'll get a job. And the recession hit because I graduated in 2009. And I was like, okay, no, I won't get a job. What I do? I'll do a master's. Mm. So I did a master's in sexuality studies. Um, And I really enjoyed that. It was, again, it it was further learning, you know, more of a challenge. And I thought, now I'll get a job. And there still wasn't really, I was, no, I was always busy because I was always working for free for charities as volunteer thing. And anytime the the job that I was doing came up as a paid position, I was told I wasn't qualified. I didn't have the law piece. I didn't have this, I didn't have that. So I thought, okay, I'll get a degree in law. I'll do a degree in international human rights law. How do I do that? So I spoke to people, this is show you how warped my logic is who were professors of human rights law in various um, institutions here and in the UK. Because I thought, I can't really go any further afield with the kids and stuff. I thought, okay, where's the best place to go to do human rights law? And they went, you know, at the time, they went, Queens, hands down, because this professor, that professor, who else is there? Belfast, yeah. And I thought, okay, I'll apply to Queens and they'll reject me. But that's okay, because I'll have been rejected by the best. It's like Harvard says, no, you can't come here. And then... I got the email and it said, um, unconditional acceptance. Lovely. And I sat there with that open for about half an hour, just looking at it going, I've never had unconditional acceptance before. Mm. This is brilliant. So I went to Queens and it was fantastic. I loved every minute of it. Um, Did you move up the... No, I used to drive up and down. Okay. Because I was homeschooling the girls as well, you see, Mm -hmm. because I decided school was no good for them. No, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so we used to barrel up and down the um, the M1. So you have your psychology, your law, you have your master's. What was the master's in again? Sexuality studies. Sexuality studies. You're doing a PhD now? Yeah. And what? I'm looking at the experiences, the, the relationships between daughters and mothers in Ireland were both of histories of child sexual abuse. And what, the PhD, and what, what, what area will be? That's such a good question. Sociology. Sociology. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And kind of anthropology as well, because my, my methodology, the way I'm doing it is, is autoethnography. So I am very clearly and loudly saying that I am of the group that I'm researching. Mm. Um, and I'm very excited about it because I'm finding out things that haven't actually been published before in the mm-hmm. literature. And it's like, this is amazing. That's pretty the way you do it, isn't it? Well, yes, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're learning so much about yourself and your own experience. Uh, and you know what's been really interesting? I was saying this to, to Ishtara during the week that the what I've noticed is since I started doing my interviews, uh, reading the literature was fine um, and, you know, being neck deep in misery was fine. <laughs> you know, the academic, the, the journals and stuff. And then I was out interviewing and I've had more flashback. I've had more memories since I started my interviews. They haven't blindsided me. It's just been like, 
Oh, mm. there's an interesting piece of information. Oh, there's another piece of the jigsaw puzzle yeah. that I wasn't expecting, but I'm in supervision. I mean, every time yeah, I, I do an interview, I go and I see my own counsellor and I'm finished yeah. my interviews now. I'm supposed to be finished the whole thing in June. <gasps> I know people <laughs> can keep up to date with you on traumarecovery.ie. That's it. That's is where a, I am. a lovely user-friendly website and you're on social media and we link all your stuff in Thank the description you. of this. We're going to have to wrap it up. Fair enough. It was Write great. that book in here. Yeah. The book is written. It's no, it's called just, Gullible Travels. Yeah. Is it? Yes. Yes. The book is out. Is it? Yeah, but it's the PhD is what we're waiting on. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, the, the academic yeah. book. Yes. But you wrote a book as well. I did, yeah. You're I wrote a book called biography. Gullible Travels. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's so, much, there's so much there to, to talk about um, that we get, we can't into an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah. But if people want to, if people want to follow up with the details, there's your book. Yep. There's the there's research coming down, mm-hmm. there's the social media. But it was an honor talking to you. Oh, God, when the we spoke was to Ga- When we spoke to Gabor Mata, he said to us, he said, the best thing he said about it, he said, is I've come across some people that have been through horrific stuff in their lives, traumatized, they couldn't believe, he says, but they can come through it mm-hmm. and the spirit yeah. doesn't get broken. And I think if he met you, he would say, there's a prime example <laughs> of what I'm talking about. Because you have a great spirit. After thank being you. through what you've been through and very humble and listening chat and thanks for taking the time to come down thank kill you there. so much for and having me and a winter's night to us yeah and thank I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed listening to you because you have such a character and you're so you just your aura your energy is so yeah. light thank and you. loving and kind you know and just be yourself yeah just be that person you're always meant to be and, oh, and I can so see it shining out through you, you know, the happiness, mm. you know, yeah. and just keep doing it. Yeah. Best of luck the with plan. the PhD. Thank you very much. I'm co- and well done on everything so far. Thank you. Adios, amigos. Mm. Ciao. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.